serious threat World Wrestling Federation has ever known. If we don't pull it together, I will see all of you in hell. In hell. In hell. There is no next year. There is no tomorrow. Shane and I just couldn't wait for you to die. For the 905 to every war, this is Schwa Wars. Hello, everyone. My name is Adam Hayes, alongside the incomparable one, Jordan Lloyd. I'm sitting on an uncomfortable chair. Well, too bad, so sad, because oh, yeah? we, we had to sit through a very uncomfortable pay-per-view. Of course, for our retro wrestling review, uh, we decided to take a look back, because today, November the 18th, when this airs, is the 20-year anniversary of of Survivor Series 2001, also known as the night the Alliance died, also known as, thank God, the shitty angle is over. Um, of course, we're going to be kind of going through the matches, uh, match by match. Unfortunately for this one, we're not doing a watch-along like we have done for our two previous uh, retro wrestling reviews, uh, mainly because we didn't want to subject everyone to an hour-long goddamn match again, so we're not doing it. You okay with that? I guess. <laughs> that's it that's, that's all you got well no it's a, that's a that's a lot to ask people to sit through unless you actually wanted to so you know what if you want that to come back leave some comments exactly you know what go back maybe you know after listening to our amazing review go back and watch uh survivor series on your own which you can find obviously on the network which they're still not paying us for and um you know just uh go check it out like i said it, the show itself i remember um you know a little bit of backstory before going in everyone knows of course this was like i said the end of the alliance and whatnot um i saw this live when it was at the cineplex here in oshawa with me and my uh my best friend at the time sean and we just had the best time ever of course naturally thinking the undertaker is that survivor series and he's in the main event clearly at 15 years old he's gonna run roughshod and just eliminate everybody, and he's going to win the whole thing. But, nay, nay, that is not the case. And, of course, he thought that Jeff Hardy was going to be the ultimate reason that he uh, was going to win for his team in his match. Nay, nay, that did also not happen. Uh, so we were naturally a little disappointed, but ultimately, like I said, the fans who came to the Cineplex were just super hyped, super into it uh, with every single match. Going back 20 years later, they had no reason to be for at least three. <laughs> they had no reason to be for like three quarters of the show. Um, but we'll get into that there's as a, time goes on. There's a funny Chris Rock joke that this is like akin to. That's like when you're younger and you watch like some of these mo like movies and like every movie is great to you. Yeah. And then you get older and you watch the same movies and you're like, Rocky Five sucks. <laughs> that's, that's like, this is kind of the same thing. Like when you were watching it, you're like, oh my God, it's the WWF versus WCW, kind of. But uh, it's like, this is what we've always wanted. Not really in life retrospect. Like, what's going to happen? The WWF can actually go out of business. And then you realize this really was just mostly just WWF against WWF, just with a different shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get right into this review. Of course, like I said, this happened 20 years ago to the date. November the 18th, 2001, took place in the WWE hotbed, Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, which, of course, you know, when I think the alliance ending when it comes to WCW country, I think WCW with North Carolina and the Greensboro Coliseum. Um, not so much with WWF. You know, they would have mistake right off the bat to put it in the middle of WCW country. I mean, whatever. It kind of worked out for them, you know, the next night on Raw. I mean, those fans didn't really seem to care, but... Yeah. But you imagine if that was, like, in a New York or Toronto or something like that. Like, whew. Oh, that would have been a rabid WWF fan base in New York. It should have been in New York. 100%. But that's just, you know... Hindsight booking, of course, which we're going to be doing and saying a lot of when it comes to this. Uh, the attendance was 10,142 people. Not a great attendance for a pay-per-view, but, um, you know, be that as it may. And, of course, the buy rate was around 450000 a lot lower than it was for the Alliance pay-per-view, which I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I just remember it being a lot lower. So um, let's kind of jump right into the actual pay-per-view. Uh, we're not counting the pre-show match because if they don't have it on the network, then why should I care? Um, the first match on the main card, though, was a singles matchup for the European Championship. It was Christian of the Alliance, because he's a part of the Alliance, taking on Al Snow. This match went 6 minutes and 30 seconds, although I would like to think it went about 12 minutes and 32 seconds too long. Um, <laughs> first thing I noticed right off the bat, goddamn, Christian with those holy shirts. Yeah, the fishnet shirts. The fishnet shirts. Those, that's the Christian I know and love. Right then and there. Ultimately, though, it was a fine match. You got two good workhorses, you know, trying to get the crowd into it or whatever. Um, and on ultimately, you know, it had Christian wind up getting the victory over Al Snow. That was pretty much it. One, <laughs> one and done in that sense. And of course, too, for this matchup, uh, sorry, this show rather, compared to the invasion angle, it was not match by match, you know, whoever got the most points at the end of the pay per view won. They weren't it keeping was, score because it, it didn't matter. Exactly. It was winner take all for the main event. So, what was your opinion on this opening matchup with Christian and Al Snow? This would have been a fine opening match of Monday Night Raw, or like a fine first hour. No, not even first hour. This would have been like a fine middle of like the first hour Monday Night Raw match. Right. But other than that, for a pay-per-view opener, this was kind of flat. I agree. It was flat. It wasn't... It wasn't really anything special. The people really... They were into it, kind of, but like, how... Like... We all love Al Snow because we know Al Snow's history and we know what he's done and we like we know what he's capable of doing. But like the general fans, I really don't think care a lot about Al Snow. Yeah. Uh, after this, before we get into the next matchup, there was a very long backstage interview segment with Mr. McMahon and yeah, what his the wife fuck? There was with like Linda. seven of those. And like we made the joke thing, and we made the joke afterwards. Like this is why they have writers now. But at the same time, like. I'm glad they didn't have writers because I would hate to see some of the shit they would have wrote for this. Um, but they had Vinda, 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 Linda, and well, Vince. Well, no, it started. It's, at first, it started with Austin getting grilled by the Alliance team again. Oh yes, for showing up late and everything. Because yeah. the and that because the seed was planted that he was going to turn on them in the main event, and that segment with that with them went maybe at least like four and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And then we jumped into the Vince and Linda thing, which went like another five minutes. Yeah, they talked about how, you know, they're going to defeat the Alliance and how they stress the fact that it's six on four, not five on five. That's then, all he needed to say. And then Linda, and sorry, not Linda. I'm thinking of Linda McMahon too much here. Um, <laughs> not in that way, trust me. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and then William Regal comes out and pretty much just, you know, puts over the fact that he's going to beat Tajiri. So he had his next matchup, and it was William Regal versus Tajiri. And he beat Tajiri. That's it. <laughs> but, like, to but like to go back real quick on the promo, like, all you needed from Vince in that segment was just that one interview with Michael Cole. All yep. that Linda stuff up until that, you, you didn't need it all. You could have cut all that out. Mm-hmm. And yes, you get the Tajiri and Regal, which I guess you would you you could have to do that on pay per view because like they were one of the prime most popular acts in the company at that time. And when Regal joined the Alliance, the betrayal would have had to lead to a pay per view match. Right. And while the chemistry was better with them, as backstage with them backstage, and they, even they, even the match in the ring was a lot better than when he faced Raven at Invasion. This one also fell flat. Yeah. It was really short. It was a little brutal because Tajiri, I think, broke his nose in the first minute with a kick right in the nose, right in the face. Um, but then he just beat him out of nowhere with a double underhook powerbomb. Yeah, and then after the match, Tori Wilson came out, Regal clout limbs back of the ring, double underhook powerbombs her, and then just walked away. One of the safest looking powerbombs you could do to a woman, by the way. Well, I mean... What? It... A double underhook powerbomb, to be fair, is not safe to begin with because you got to flip it yourself. I know it's not safe, air. but like he was pretty damn safe. Well, regardless, William Regal does defeat Tajiri. They go two minutes and fifty nine seconds. Not that you shouldn't be safe, but yeah, like I was that was say, like, that was like overly safe. <laughs> I came for blood, and you got blood. <laughs> yeah, that was a little overly safe. Well, the next matchup. Well, before the next matchup, there was another backstage segment. We had Test complaining that he didn't get enough body oil put on himself thanks to the makeup artist. Stacy Keebler comes over. They talk about how, you know, after their her team wins, they should go celebrate. And Tess is like, absolutely. Maybe me and you can do a little celebrating later. No, 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 no. He did Hold not. On. He said, and then we can go out with the Dudleys and partay. Oh, yes. He said the partay line. <laughs> Some 2001 verbiage there. We can go out and partay. And then afterwards, Stacy Keebler just stroked her hand against yeah, his bum. Yeah, after she sexually harassed Tess, and then they went on. And then he's like, yep, she wants me. No shit, she just grabbed your ass. What was your first clue? And then we go to Edge with his little pre-tape backstage with a very young um, Jonathan Coachman. Edge looked like a child, too. <laughs> Those glasses look so stupid. <laughs> like, the, gl- the glasses two sizes too small that were like purple or blue frames or whatever. Yeah, he looked like, he, he looked really young. That was not some of his best backstage. It was funny, part. too, because he made a Canadian a boot joke because Tess does a big boot. They're both yeah. Canadian. Yeah, Makes they're no both sense. Canadian. And that, yeah, that was not some of his best mic work. Well, uh, not one of one of Edge's best matches either uh, was the next match. It was the unification match for the United States Championship for the WCW and the WWF Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. It went 11 minutes, 19 seconds. Edge with the U.S. title. Tess with the Intercontinental title. Of course, uh, the person who lost his match, potentially could be fired, which, of course, would be leading into the angle later on in the show. You had to have a championship that saved you to secure your job. Exactly. That was one of the few ways you could secure your job. Exactly, which was kind of cool to see. And, um, yeah, so, of course, these two had a not bad matchup. Uh, The chemistry was interesting between the two of them, to say the least. But then, ultimately, Edge, out of nowhere, after a lot of great near falls, even... Tess kicking out of the spear, Edge kicking out of his running boot. Um, Edge kind of gets like a out of nowhere roll up one two three, and Tess starts complaining and whatever. But Edge is a dual champion and securing his job, uh, regardless of whoever wins the final matchup. What were your thoughts? I think uh, I said this while we were watching it. I think that 
if I was going over the order of the show, this is the match I would have had start the show. I would have put Regal and Tajiri, and I would have put Christian and Al Snow like embedded in the middle. This is what I would have had start the show. Right. Because like I said it too, I'm like, wow, that's very odd. Like back then, I guess they didn't really have the ver- the, the mindset of like put on like a, a hot match to get the crowd going like right off the bat. I would have put this on first because this I felt was way more, the pace was much better than the first two matches. The in-ring work was much better. This, I thought, up until that point was the best match on the show. And nothing against the, um, you know, Christian and Al Snow or Regal and Tajiri, but even just like looking at the list now, it feels like you could have started the show with Edge versus Test and just kept going all the way through and it would have been like high stake matches, big players, whatever. And you would have been okay with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next matchup, before actually we get into that, I'm going to be saying that quite a few times, because there was a lot of backstage segments that we almost forgot about here. Uh, of course, uh, there was a little thing with uh, Jeff Hardy and Lita backstage, and you know, teasing the dissension of the first time that the Hardy boys would uh, break up in a month's time. Um, Jeff and Lita talking to each other, Matt comes out, saying, you know, what are you guys talking, you guys about? talking about? And then he's like, oh, nothing, we're just strategizing, we're thinking about it, and Matt kind of hypes up the team, and, you know, we're going to do this, Lita, you're going to win your match, and, you know, we're going to win ours, we're going to secure our jobs, and do this to WWF, and yada, yada, yada. The Hardys leave, and then Lita goes back to walk into the locker room, and out comes Trish Stratus, looking ever so fine, as always. And, um, you know, was just saying that she was in the back, just, you know, giving a pep talk to everybody and talking to the people. So, of course, Lita was kind of thinking backstage, hmm, is my husband cheating on me? Joke's on him! Because she would be cheating on him like four or five years later. <laughs> well, not only that... Womp, womp, womp. Not only that, but that's a pretty wide open accusation. Like I would have I could see the I could see the thought process if the door said the Hardy Boys locker room. It's true, and it seemed team it, it team said WWF. team WWF. So there's probably like forty people in that locker room. So like I really don't think it matters. Yeah, but I, you can see what they were obviously going for with that. Uh the next matchup was the Steel Cage Unification match uh for the WCW Tag Team Championship. Um, this match went 15 minutes and 44 seconds. By the way, I for- completely forgot. We also got the Meltzer ratings here because Dave Meltzer. Oh, please bring this shit up. Oh yeah. We're... I can't wait to look at this. <laughs> okay. So we're going to go back and like go back in time to... for a second here and, uh, just take a look quickly. I'm going to be asking Jordan, uh, and you guys will be playing along as well if you'd like to, uh, what he thinks the ratings were for each of the matches that we watched. And uh, I will give it to him, and then I'll get his immediate reaction. So it should be fun, because he, quite frankly, doesn't like Dave Meltzer. And with good reason. And why is that? Because I feel he's very biased towards a certain style of wrestling and towards certain people, and it shows in those star ratings. You know, Jeff might be listening. That's rude. Come on and fight me, Jeff. (laughs) We can debate it (laughs) one-on-one. Jeff, we love you. Absolutely. (laughs) All right, so, of course, uh, going back to that um, first matchup with Al Snow and Christian for the European title, uh, what would you have given that star rating? Two. All right, two and three-quarter star. Okay, so... You're not too far off. That's fair. Then I, I I can't really gripe too much about that. Okay. What about William Regal versus Tajiri? Three minute masterclass here. One and a half, maybe. And a half is being generous. One and a half stars. Wow. So okay. you and Dave Meltzer think alike. How about that? Oh. <laughs> uh, and also uh, with Edge versus uh, Test here. Three? Three and a quarter. 
Okay. He gave it three and a quarter stars. Okay. See, so. but see, there's there's a difference here though. To me, I feel like there was no choice but to give some of these matches those ratings. Because if you gave Tajiri and Regal more than one and a quarter stars, there's something there's clearly something wrong with you. Even with the time limit. Yes. Okay. All right. So, like I said, Dudley's and the Hardys, they had, a, I think, a great tag team match. They actually did the tag team rules inside the cage. And I know a lot of people, if no disqualification, you're inside of a cage. Nah, there should be still a little bit of rules. And you got to have some sort of story arc throughout the match. And it made more sense, especially as the match went on. A ma- okay, like I can understand too with people saying like, oh, it should be just all four guys in a free-for-all. But like a match has to flow. If you have no real focal point and no real focus of what people should be watching and paying attention to, then it's just a jumbled mess. Exactly. So when you have tag rules and you at least have like some kind of through line for people to follow that's easy to follow, to me that brings up the tension and it brings up the pacing and it brings up the quality of the match. I also mentioned to you as well when we were watching it, especially near the end of the match, go back and watch this, by the way, on the network. This is a darn good tag team cage match not the best one you're ever going to see but i even said too that watching this back this was better than the lucha brothers versus the young bucks that they recently just did it all out that everyone's claiming is the greatest steel cage match of all time and got 6.75 stars because you know that's a fucking thing but anyways well i would digress and say that if that match didn't have a cage it would have got the same star rating Mm. that's fair it's no because people were predetermined to give that match that rating. Cage matches nowadays, the cage is there for just dressing. It has no real purpose, which hurts me because I'm a cage match good. Like that is probably my favorite stipulation match ever is the cage match. Like people obviously, are... obviously casket match and stuff because I'm Undertaker, but like cage matches to me the end all be all. You use the cage, that is the weapon, that is the structure. People hardly use the cage. They don't really come up with creative things to do with the cage. Like this one, Matt Hardy was it's hanging It's a weapon-filled from, cell. This one, Matt Hardy was hanging from his uh Matt Hardy was hanging from his leg upside down from like the top tr- top trusk of the cage. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Or since. No. Um No, yeah. People don't use the cage, and if they do, they use it very, very freak very, very infrequently. There's pinfalls now all the time in cages. Nobody really even cares about escaping anymore. Like this, they work the escape gimmick. Well, yeah, it was either you pin and you could win the match, or both members of a team had to climb over the top. The door was not accessible uh, to be escaping from. They had kind of put a chain or lock on it. But this one, they didn't really work the pinfall angle really that much until the ending. And really, when you know what the finish was, it made perfect sense just to go for a cover and not even bother trying to escape the cage. Exactly. So actually near the end of the matchup, Matt Hardy does wind up escaping the cage. Which didn't uh, make any sense. which Which didn't make sense. It would have been better if both Hardys were escaping at the same time. And Jeff wasn't able to escape, but Matt was. Because everybody was down, and then Matt just kind of just crawled out of the cage and dropped to the floor. I'm like, well, you just left your partner for, to die. Yeah, because <laughs> in essence, it's like two-on-one handicap. With that yeah. Um, but of course, Matt does escape. There's an opportunity where a table is then brought into the ring because Stacy Keebler just flirted. Sexually her- harassed Nick Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it was a different time, man. Oh. I know. That's funny. Anyways, the table gets in the <laughs> ring. It's set up. Jeff Hardy's about to climb in it. Devon th- puts himself onto the table, kind of like luring Jeff. Like, come on, motherfucker. Yeah, Jeff you know was, you wanna. Jeff was climbing the cage, and yeah, Devon. You pointed it. Out. I didn't even notice. I don't even think I noticed the first time I ever saw this man. 
Devon really did just get up and kind of just lie on the table. Like, face first. <laughs> like, there was no reason for him to do that. But really, when you think about it, that kind of does make sense that you're kind of trying to entice the adrenaline junkie to take an unnecessary chance. Yeah. And then, of course, Jeff sees it. Matt's like, no, come down, come down. And he just couldn't help himself and went for the swanton off the top of the cage and killed himself through a table. Yeah, which ultimately costed his team in WWF the tag team titles. And then, you know, the Dudleys pick up the victory, of course, securing their jobs because they have championship belts. Again, I really like this cage match. Some of the things that they did in between. I mean, the chemistry between the Dudleys and the Hardys alone, right? It's like, always been tough. They've thought, they fought each other probably for the... 300th time that in, year. In any style. That year alone, in probably. any style of match you could probably think of. Yeah, so, like, there's a reason why, if you go back um, in the archives over at anchor.fm slash podcast, we did um, a tournament edition of our show where we ranked the greatest WWE tag teams of all time. There's a reason the Hardys and the Dudleys came pretty close to the top. I won't say that they won, because you got to go back in the archives and listen to it. Um, but of course that matchup, like I said, went 15 minutes and 44 seconds. Yeah, they, they did some create, they did a lot of creative things with the cage that you don't see anymore. And then, well, the Dudleys left now being unified tag team champions and securing their job. The EMTs. Were oh my the, God. The EMTs were some of the most recklessly incompetent EMTs. Yeah. They brought a stretcher out, which is great immediately after the match. Cause like Jeff just threw himself off a cage. Yeah. You Take s- notice modern wrestling. Someone yeah. got hurt and they brought out a stretcher. You sell a possible injury. But for the EMTs bump. come out and they're helping Jeff and they're like, we got to get him out of this cage. Instead of lifting the cage up, they're fucking ripping <laughs> Jeff Hardy's unconscious body by the leg, by the arm, they by the drag, shoulders, trying to drag his, his ass through the door of this cage didn't where they could possibly have a neck injury, you know, in storyline. Didn't put a brace Nothing. on him. No backboard. They just dragged him like a sack of shit out of the ring. Well, well Matt and Leader just watching him were like, wow, that's uh, that's some shitty ass work you're doing right there. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. Anyways, uh, Meltzer's rating for it. What, first of all, what do you think, what would you give this match? Jordan versus Meltzer. We're going to make this a new segment when it comes to the... Me, I would say three and a quarter to four. I would probably lean more towards the that's a, four. That's a big gap there. Three and a quarter to four? Yeah. Okay, then I think I need three and three quarters. Okay. I'd say probably between three and three quarters and four. Well, if you would have said your first one, you would have been right. He three also said... No, he said three and a quarter. Three and a quarter? He gave it three and a quarters. What is wrong with me? Why am I so... Why am I so close to his ratings? Well, I mean, this is before Meltzer, you know... Showed his bias? No. Drank the Kool-Aid. Oh, true. Cherry flavored. <laughs> I uh, mean, it's not, the, it's not the finest cage match I've ever seen. No, but it was still a good cage match. Yeah, so that's why I think... Especially I think, tag matches are hard. Yes, that's why I think maybe like th- between three and four I think is fair. And there wasn't a thumbtack shoe, so I was okay with it. Yeah. Uh, the next matchup, before we get into it, once again, there was a backstage segment. This time with Scotty Too Hotty walking down the, the street singing doo-wah-dee-bee-dee-bee-dum-dee-bee-doo. And uh, Tess is like, hey, you're in that battle royal? He's like, sure am. No, and then he got decked. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. And he decked his ass and took his spot. So that would ultimately lead to the battle royal, where, of course, the person would win immunity regardless of which uh, which team won, uh, of course, at the end of the night. They I would just... automatically have a year-long you-can't-fire-me clause. Yeah, which I just need to point out a couple things. One, I need to point out, I forgot how frail some people were back in the day that that's what took Scotty Duhati out of the match. Like, he couldn't have just got up and, like, sucked it up and went to the ring. But... Scotty too hotty, man. 
whatever. The see. This is even too cool, Scotty Too Hotty. The immunity battle royal was such a great concept on paper. Agreed. That if you win, you cannot be fired no matter what you do for one year. Whoever won this, this could have been an easy way to either bring them up another level or bring a guy who was already at a certain level up to potentially a main event level. And we'll get to it in a second with the guy that won and how they kind of flubbed that in the end. So. Okay, I didn't know if you were done with that one. Okay, so in this matchup, of course, it was Bradshaw, Farouk, Lance Storm, Billy Kidman, Diamond Dallas Page, which what a sink from uh, the... He went from being on Team Alliance five months prior to now being in the Immunity Battle Royal. Yeah. Uh, Albert, Taz, Perry Saturn, Raven, Chuck Palumbo, Crash Holly, Just Incredible, Sean Stasiak, Steven Richards... Tommy Dreamer, The Hurricane, Spike Dudley, Hugh Morris, Chavo Guerrero, and Funaki, as well as Billy Gunn and Test. This matchup went 7 minutes and 37 seconds, and it was a fine battle royal. Really nothing too much whatever about it. Uh, the little Hugh Morris Chavo thing got like a, neg- no, got a negative reaction pop. No one understood what even happened. I mean, Two we, random guys came in, you couldn't even tell who one of them was. No. And they just started throwing people out and they got no response from anybody. No. Honestly, this, it was kind of a mess. People were getting thrown out and they weren't even calling attention to it until afterwards. DDP got eliminated third. Like, I, I even said when we were watching, Farouk got thrown out. I have no idea when or by who. Yeah. So, like, you, if you blink, you could have missed an elimination and they would not have called attention to it. Yeah, the commentators, they tried to do their best. Which, by the way, speaking of the commentators, love me some JR and Paul Heyman. Like, pay, Paul Heyman was his absolute worst when it comes to overbearing this for this pay-per-view. Because, obviously, with the stakes involved or whatever. But, like, I've always attest that I've loved this pairing. Sometimes, dare I say, even more than King and JR, that I've always loved the idea of, like, Heyman just being that, you know, smarmy New York, you know, over-the-top, right-in-your-face version. And JR just, like, trying to be professional or whatever and, like, just calling him out on his it's, crap. It was a different flavor. JR and, it the is. King, JR and the King, it was, like, it was a heel and a play-by-play guy with JR and Heyman. It was Abbott and Costello. Yeah. In a way. You know what I mean? It was also... Yeah, but it's also, like you said, it was two, like, cultures clashing against each other. Exactly. Like the South and New York. Yeah. Or professionalism in... New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, ultimately, like we said, uh, Test wound up winning this matchup, eliminating Billy Gunn, and did give himself immunity. So he lost a championship... His career could have been in jeopardy, but he took it upon himself to save himself and then wound up winning this battle royal. And now they ran with this for like a couple months where like he would like big boot referees if he lost matches and he would just do whatever he wanted and got to get away with it. But then it kind of just all went away. They just stopped paying attention to it. They stopped making mention of it. So like a great concept that they kind of, they fumbled with. This could, that could have made Test a main event guy. Could have, but look at the people that were involved in the main event scene. True, but I mean, it still could have. Yeah. Well, anything's possible in the World Wrestling Federation. Including another backstage segment! <laughs> no, I, I, actually, there wasn't any backstage segment. I just wanted to say that. Um, of course, I'll, oh, we gotta go to the rating on this one. What'd you give that Battle Royal? What would you give it? What do you think Meltzer gave it? I'd probably give it like a, a one and a half. Okay. I'm gonna guess he probably gave it a one. We gotta, we gotta come up with like a creative name for this for you. 
eventually. We'll do it off air because we're okay. wasting yeah, time we'll for that. With that. I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to guess he probably gave it like a one or two. All right. Well, he gave this a one-star rating. Okay, so I was right. Yeah. You and Mensal. I told you. You guys are just bosom buddies on this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> bosom buddies. Uh, of course, like I said, the second-last match, co-main event of the night, was a six-pack challenge for the vacant WWF Women's Championship. Of course, it was originally China's, but back before the Alliance era, uh, her, she and WWE did not renew contracts and all those other issues that came between the two of them would occur uh, because China was the Women's Champion when she left. Therefore, there was no championship that was actually during the entire Alliance uh, feud, which is kind of interesting, considering how many women were there. But, and of course, it was Ivory, Jacqueline, Lita, Mighty Molly, Trish Stratus, and the debut of Ivory, who got negative zero reaction. No, huh? no, it was the debut of Jazz. You already said Ivory. I did. I'm looking right at the name Jazz, and I said the word Ivory. Jazz came out. Um... No like, one knew who the hell she was. No one knew. But again, Paul Heyman was the perfect person to do it. They were in the wrong city for this debut. But Paul Heyman did a great job like putting her over like a beast. And she came into the ring like a friggin' beast, like decking, uh, I think it was uh, decking Lita with uh, you know, a really good yeah. tackle. And then you know putting the boots to her for a few seconds. Uh, but ultimately, this would lead to Trish Stratus getting the victory, hitting the uh, Stratisfaction Bulldog on Ivory, and securing the victory... And winning her first of many women's championships. Jordan, your thoughts? Uh, it was short, fast-paced, to the point. Basically non-stop action. There was no lulls. It was pretty entertaining. I agree. And I, normally I have a problem with like matches that are just like boom, 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 one spot to the next. They only had four minutes and 23 seconds to work with. They packed a lot into four minutes. And everyone shined. Everyone had a nice little thing. And you had... And again, just looking back, like we totally... Didn't realize the potential in the women wrestling caliber people that we had in front of us when we were 15, 16. But, like... Yeah, we said there was at least, like, four or five of them that were in the wrong era at that time. Exactly. Like, Mighty Molly alone, great worker for her time. And just in general. Same with Lita. Same with Jacqueline. Jazz as well. Ivory. The person with the least amount of experience that would go on to be, you know, quite possibly, like, you know, the head honcho of the entire women's division for the next decade. Trish Stratus. Like, well, at least the next five years. But, yeah. So, like... It, it's just incredible to see like the potential that we saw within the women's division that a lot of us, and quite frankly myself, I mean, I'll put myself in that category, didn't really give them the due that they deserved because, quite frankly, they weren't treated in that same regard. No. Women's wrestling was not taken seriously back then. No. Obviously, today it is. And like I said, some of these women would just thrive to working in with some of the people that they could to could as well today. Oh, totally. Yeah, you know, they packed a lot into four minutes, but it didn't feel like they crammed a lot into four minutes, which I guess is where you would distinct how doing too much in too little amount of time would be. All right, so what would you give this match, then? I mean, I can't... It, was, it wasn't long enough, to, I think, to give it three and a... I don't know. I, I'd say three. Three stars? Yeah. All right, well, finally, you and Meltzer are on polar opposite opinions. It was probably lower, right? He gave it a one star. One star? I don't see. I wouldn't agree with that, but it is what it is. No. Well, there you go. Uh, of course, our last match before we did that, another backstage segment. This time it was Vince McMahon uh, hyping up the troops. Took hyping a little bit. Took, the... took a little bit longer to get to that process, but when he did, hyping up the troops, he bids. He does it in such a funny way. 
He's basically telling them that if you lose, no one will ever forgive you. <laughs> well, that's that's how he started with it, and then and then he went into the whole like think of the legacy of the WWF. Like think of guys like Andre the Giant. Think of guys like you know High Chief Peter Maivia and uh, Doctor Jerry Graham. Doctor Jerry, he had to throw in the Doctor Jerry Graham. <laughs> he wasn't going to mention Hulk Hogan in that list. No, no. But um, in any event, he was hyping up the troops. Rock took off like a friggin' seriously. If you watch this, go if you if you watch this on the network, go back and watch up until this point. The second Vince stops talking, I've never seen the Rock run so fast at a camera in my life. I swear he had the runs. <laughs> <laughs> he ran like he had the runs. He was gone just like that. Well, regardless, we were running ourselves into the winner take all five on five Survivor Series elimination matchup between the Alliance of Stone Cold Steve Austin, the recently jumped Kurt Angle, because you know. Feuded two pay-per-views prior to that with Unforgiven No Mercy for the world title. What's like you? It's like you. And said. then he turned and jumped the alliance. It's like you said. Like we should have seen what was coming. Yeah. Based on how, based on that entire story, but we we all just didn't see it. Yeah. So it was Austin, Kurt Angle, RVD, Booker T, and Shane McMahon. Nice. You know, because when I think WCW and ECW, I think those. Shane McMahon. Uh, of course, taking on Team WWF of this murderer's row, The Big Show, Kane, The Undertaker, Chris Jericho, and The Rock. Like I said when they were when Vince was walking down that line of all the guys lined up, I'm like, you could stop at Undertaker, Kane, and Big Show, and that would be enough. <laughs> you would. So you, you get extra dressing on top with Jericho and The Rock. Well, there you go. This matchup went 44 minutes and 57 seconds, so clearly the money match was this one. Of course, it had the most star power. Give it the most time. Makes the most sense, obviously. Um, of course, this matchup, as I said, was the five on five. Shane McMahon was a little prick. This whole fucking match. Go back and watch it. I, it's a, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of dull moments near like the halfway point near the end. Shane, but would, Shane at the beginning of this was just like Shane a gnat. Would, Shane, he would, would do break something up every pinfall exactly attempt when it wasn't even necessary. He would break up every pinfall and then run out of the ring like a little girl. Like, it was hilarious. Yeah. And, uh, like I said, it was just an overall fun matchup. Of course, you know, you saw the eliminations, you know, by each people. But Big Show took 1,900 finishers. Shane McMahon took every finisher in the book, pretty much. Well, the Big took a choke slam from Kane, the a tombstone from The Undertaker, and then a lion salt to eliminate the great Shane McMahon. The Big Show thing makes sense because in retrospect... He's a seven-foot-five giant. Yeah. You should have to do that to the Big Show to get him out. Shane, they just did that because they could. Oh, yeah. They were, <laughs> they were just having fun with the boss's kid. They're like, we're do let's hurt him. No. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you have... You have sometimes the typical tropes where, like, the heels will always obviously get the early advantage and then the faces will even it up and then... As you get further down the line, the, the heels will start to get more of an advantage where it's three on two, four on two, which is kind of basically what happened with this. It came down to Rock and Jericho against Angle, Austin, and Rob Van Dam. Yep. And so, like, matches like this, like, I can see why sometimes they might be difficult. To, difficult to put together because they have so many moving parts with so many people in them. And difficult for people to keep people's attention because they have so many moving parts. But I think for the most part, they succeeded with this. What do you think? I agree. Um, like I said, it's not the best Survivor Series match. I Like I said, halfway through the match, I found that it's not because of the participants. I feel like it went longer because they had to go longer because of the pay-per-view time. 
because all the other matches didn't have time. You could have cut this down to 30 minutes, maybe even 35. It didn't need to go an extra 10. Um, but ultimately, like I said, sitting in the theater when I was 15 years old, like this was everything to me. Like this was a, you know, a must see match. Like, you know, cause you know, it's still real me to real to me, damn it. At that point. Right. So I was just on my feet and going with every single elimination and holding my breath and everything. But like, yeah, the writing was on the wall. Of course, they were teasing Austin being the person that was uh, initially going to turn, thanks to Vince McMahon, which was leading to the dissension. So, of course, you had Rock and Jericho who couldn't had their, get along. Couldn't get along because of their problems. So but, there was a lot of rotating stories that were in this that made this interesting, which would lead to later more stories after the show. Um, but of course, ultimately, it would lead to Austin. So it came Rock down, and Austin. Well, it came down to Angle. And Austin against Jericho and The Rock. Oh, yeah. We'll go backwards here. Angle went out pretty quickly once it got down to those four. And then after that is where you had the Jericho turn where he dropped The Rock, where he couldn't let his he couldn't let his ego go for one night to save his own job, which was a pretty accurate statement. <laughs> um, but for like one brief moment, it was, it, not, I wouldn't say brief, it was like a, maybe a minute and a half, couple minutes, where it was the heel alone against two faces, which you don't really see that often. Which again, in hindsight, looking back, is, you know, Angle would want to get himself in out of that predicament because it puts his team right. at a disadvantage. Which might be why he tapped so quickly when he was in the sharpshoot. You know what? There's so many layers now you can peel back that makes so much more sense now when you know how it ends. Yeah. Of course, like I said, it ultimately would lead, though, to Austin versus The Rock. Uh, of course, it was just classic Austin versus The Rock, over the top, hitting with the punches and the moves and the selling and the stunners and blah, blah, blah. But then ultimately... Stealing each other's moves. Exactly. And then Jericho would, you know... Still be at ringside, I believe. No, this is when Jericho... Jericho had left. Jericho had left. Undertaker under chased him off after yeah. he dropped the rock. And then Angle comes running out after two referee bumps from Nick no, Patrick. No, 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 but hold on. We got to bring up the Nick Patrick thing. Okay. Because the Nick Patrick thing is really funny when you make that point. Nick Patrick came out and stopped like a near fall. I think it was after the rock hit Austin with a stunner. Yeah. And Nick Patrick comes out and drags Earl Hebner out of the ring. And it's like, what did you say? You brought the slowest counting referee out to try to make a fast count. To try to make a fast count win happen. Yeah. Which is so true. Anybody listening, I dare you to debate me that Nick Patrick does not have the weirdest slow count ever in pro Not wrestling. even slow count, just count. Just the weirdest he count. He flops his arm like it's a fish out of water on the dock <laughs> before every call. It's like, one, flat, 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 flat. Two, flat, 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 flat. Oh, the guy kicked out. And then Austin was not pleased with his weird counting and struck him in the face and it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, Angle did come out with... Um, you take well, he, the he took the championship, though. Austin brought the title in the ring yeah. and it ended up over by the... It ended up over on the other side of the ring by the, by the entranceway. Right. And then you saw Angle in the background coming down and naturally, if you weren't... If you weren't a kin or you didn't realize what was happening, you would have thought he was coming out to help Austin. But he wasn't. He hit him in the head with the title. Rock bottom. The alliance is dead. Thank One, God. two, three. Paul Heyman's standing there in shock. JR's freaking out. Vince McMahon comes out, you know, celebrating his ultimate victory in front of the diehard WCW crowd. He killed WCW twice. Yes. <laughs> he was celebrating. Thank God this angle was over, which I'm sure a lot of people were thinking at the time too, that were smart to the business. Yeah. Um, and that would do it for this pay-per-view. And of course that would lead to the next night on Monday night raw, which, you know, would see, you know, Paul Heyman getting, you know, fired and then 
the return of Jerry the King, King Lawler. Brought back in the debut of Ric the Flair. Na- Nature Boy Ric Flair comes out, shows that he was 50% owner, and they're going to be partners, and the old, the traditional Vince pulling his ear thing. Yeah, so a lot of things. And of course, Austin being the biggest heel of the Alliance, well, being the ultimate babyface the next night on Raw, he's like, oh, he's the WWE champion. Yeah, he just didn't care. Didn't they, they went on like nothing happened. Yep. And it was really funny to me, too. Like it was a bad this. dream throughout the summer and fall. <laughs> it was like watching this, too. It was really funny to me because it's like, you know, Austin kind of gets the last laugh. Like, he really doesn't give a shit which team wins <laughs> because he's still the champion. He'll still have a job. Yeah, that's true. Well, that is going to do it for our retro review. Oh, before we get out of here, I completely forgot. The Meltzer review for this one. What would you give it in, in comparison to uh, the almighty Meltzer? I'd say probably, I'd say four and a quarter. Four and a quarter. I'll say four and a quarter. All right. Well, I'm going to guess he probably said four and three quarters. He gave it four and a quarter. Sorry. he No, he didn't. He gave it four and a half stars. Four and a half stars. Oh, wasn't far off on that. No. I can see that. Well, you guys were only off on the one matchup, really, so... Ugh, that frightens me. <laughs> uh, ultimately, though, what was your overall opinion of this match? Does it still live up to the hype? Does it age well? Um, is it something that you would tell people to go back? And if it's so, what's the one match the, you would say? The angle doesn't age well. No. Obviously. We all know that now. The, the matches, I think, still do age well. If anything, they actually show some of the problems with today's modern wrestling. Um... I would say I would recommend people go back and watch this. I would say especially watch the cage match. Yep. Definitely watch the cage match. If you want to watch like a good little quick competitive wrestling match, watch Test versus Edge. If you want to watch some juggling of a whole bunch of different mega stories with a whole bunch of top stars, watch the main event. Mm. It's a good it's a good main event. It's a good it's a good Survivor Series 10 man tag. I, I liked it. I still prefer the Alliance. Uh, or sorry, I still prefer the uh, Invasion 5-on-5 match over this one, I, I would think, have to say. I think overall I probably still do also. Yeah. As far as just the quality of the match. But I think like for the with the story kind of elevates this one a little more. But I think so. I think the other one is still my favorite. All right. Well, like I said, go back in the archives. Uh, for WWE over on their network, of course, we're still not getting sponsored money. Damn them. And, of course, uh, you know, just... Check out everything in our archives as well. We got a lot of great stuff that we've been pumping out over uh, over at anchor.fm slash podcast. Of course, last week we had our Ask Amato Anything Q&A episode where uh, we could put him under the put him under the fire, I should say, with some of the fan-submitted questions that you guys all gave to us. So go back and listen to that. And, of course, next week is going to be our amazing game show called Countdown, a story unique but not really original game show where two teams of two must compete against each other, but they also have a time clock that they share. And once that time clock counts down, that's it. It's game over. So they got to be able to answer all their questions within a 20-minute time limit and uh, be able to share that time accordingly while also trying to answer their questions and beat the other team. So it's actually a lot of fun. We had uh, George McKay and his beautiful wife, Sasha, from Straight Talk Wrestling taking on uh, good friend of the show, Vander Cruz, and his beautiful wife, Tina. Uh, so go and check that out. That will be coming out next week. Every Thursday at 10 a.m., our podcast drops here at anchor.fm slash podcast. Uh, Jordan, anything you want to be able to say before we get out of here? I don't think so. I was going to say, I just rambled like a minute and a half straight. <laughs> 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 Break breath. I was like, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, keep showing support. Keep leaving comments. 
We like hearing from people. We exactly. like hearing your we like hearing your thoughts. We like hearing maybe tell us something you might want us to talk about. Exactly. So of course we're not sure when the next retro wrestling review is going to be taking place. Uh, that'll probably be happening in the new year because we got a whole bunch of stuff planned for the rest of the uh, year planned for this show. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Adam Hayes. Thank you very much. We'll catch you on the next one.